Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Well, good morning. You know, there's this thing called seven degrees of separation. And we, we, if you know that about, usually it's referring to Kevin Bacon. And uh, so this morning, I'm here, and I'm doing the meet and greet. And uh, so I talked to Kathy Evans. Where's Kathy? She's right there. So I'm talking to Kathy Evans, and we don't know each other from Adam, but we know that we both love the Lord, and so we're having this conversation, and uh, I begin to talk about a little bit of my past, a little bit of my experiences. Um, one of the things in my past way back when is I graduated from Central Washington University in Ellensburg, Washington. And so I began talking to her about this CMA church there in Ellensburg and, you know, just what a significant church it is in that community. If I were to, if I were to actually point to one church in Ellensburg that for the last 30 plus years that has really made a difference to the kingdom of God, it would be the CMA church of Ellensburg, Washington. And we began to talk a little bit, and uh, you know, it, 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 it had an influence in my life. It had an influence in my wife's life as we went to school. And so then I started talking about, she mentioned Tim Owen. And I'm going, yeah, I said, you know who Tim Owen is? He's kind of, he was a legend there in Kittitas County. You know Tim Owen? And she's like, yeah, he's my brother. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So not only do you know Tim Owen, you know the difference that he made for the kingdom of God in Kittitas County. Because I'll tell you what, it is, still is, significant what he did for those people in that county. And here's the cool thing about Tim Owen is this, is that he has left a legacy. He was a disciple who made disciples. And he may be in the, within the realms of heaven today, but his disciples are still making disciples. And it is still a catalyst of, of spiritual care and kingdom advancement in Kittitas County. So, Kathy, wow, pleasure to meet you. And it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I've, I, I've been in ministry in Washington County since about 1991. So I've had the, the, the privilege and honor of being connected to this church for quite some time. You've had some youth pastors that have come through, and I've, I've been involved in, with them in, in activities in western Washington County, and we did things together way back in the day. And, and so I know the rich history of this particular church. And I also know this. I know the potentiality of this church. You've got tons of spiritual potential that you're just beginning to tap into. You know, you might think, you, you know, right now, it may not seem that way. You've been in the throes of evaluation and, and examining your vision, your vision and mission and how do we get where we need to go. It's really, really a fantastic place to be as a church. And if I could encourage you, I'd say embrace it. Embrace where you're at today because it's a really, really good place to be in the life of any church or any organization that wants to be about building disciples who make disciples. So to give you a little snapshot of who I am, uh, I've been married for 35 years to a great gal. Her name is Kimmy and Kimberly, but she's been, she always goes by Kimmy. And we have four daughters. I have a daughter who will be 32 this month, and she lives in Michigan, and she's got two grandsons that live in Michigan. I'm not very happy about that, okay? So I've got a little, he's the oldest, his name's Henry. He'll be three in March, and then George will be one in April. And there are a couple of, there are kings, King George and King Henry, and we're just thrilled about them, and we thrill every opportunity we get to be with them. Daughter number two is in the midst of law school at Willamette University. She's single, 
And uh, yeah, she believes she's got this, she's always had this justice thing about her. You know, being daughter number two, I think she kind of looked at the horizon and said, okay, I got to make sure everything's fair. You know, she's the one, you know, you'd pour them pop, and she's the one that's going to look at the pop to see what, make sure they're even. Okay, we got to be equal here. So that's kind of Mackenzie. She wants to save the world, and she might do so. And daughter number three, uh, she's married, and she's pregnant with, da- with, with grandchild number three, with a little girl, due May 1st. And uh, her name is Annie. Annie works for the city of Hillsborough as a police volunteer coordinator. Her husband is the youth pastor at Sunrise Church. Name, his name is Taylor. And then daughter number four is living in Forest Grove. She's married, and she also works for the city of Hillsborough. And they, they purchase five acres, they build a house, and, and they live a very adventurous life there. So it's kind of a snapshot of who I am. I've been in vocational ministry for about 20, well, about 28, 29 years. Um, I was a pastor for about 26 years. Currently, I, as Wayne mentioned, I work for an organization called Sun Life. And so I'm mission status. I'm a domestic missionary, and I am the Northwest Regional Director for Oregon, Idaho, and Washington, and I coach, I mentor, and I train youth pastors and pastors, and I assist churches making disciples like Jesus did. So that's kind of, a, kind of who I am, and I live here in Hillsboro. I live actually probably almost a stone's throw from, from Pastor Wayne, and uh, we have really downsized. We live in a townhouse, and I absolutely love every aspect of my life. For those of you who are grandparents, wouldn't it have been so cool to have skipped parenting and gone right to being a grandparent? Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, I just can't, I mean, all I do is love and spoil these boys, and I'm going to be the grandpa that does this. It's going to be 4 p.m., right? And they're going to be with me, and I'm going to say, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen, right? So I'm going to take them to Dairy Queen. I'm going to get the, you, you can have whatever you want as long as it's got sugar in it. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to feed them that ice cream or whatever they get. And then I'm going to take them home and say, here's your, here's your boy. And they're going to say, what'd you do, Dad? Oh, you don't want to know. But good luck with this evening. Okay. So I, I just want to love, just want to love on those boys and, and my, my granddaughter who's forthcoming. And so it's, it's just life's an absolute joy for my wife and I. So we're empty nesters and loving that and uh, love, love, loving people and loving people where they're at and, and being all about the kingdom is what we're all about. So with that, let's pray and jump into Nehemiah chapter 4. God, I just thank you and I praise you just for this unique opportunity to, do, to be here. You knew before the foundations of the earth that I would actually be here on this particular date and time, that I'd be speaking on Nehemiah chapter 4. And Father, you know, when I, when I think of what has transpired in this church and what is transpiring, man, there couldn't be a better portion of Scripture to talk about today. It's all about building. And Lord, I believe that you are indeed building something here amongst this group of people. You know, it's not by accident that they are here, but, for, but Lord, they're here called according to your purpose. They have a desire. They have passion. They want to be a people on mission. So I pray, Father, that I would kind of get myself out of the picture this morning. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me words of encouragement, words of challenge. And if so be, Father, even maybe words of gentle admonishment. Because Lord, you believe in this group of people probably more than they believe in themselves. I thank you, Lord, that you are absolutely crazy about each one of us. And Lord, you, you couldn't be any more pleased with who we are. You're so much more interested in who we are than what we do. 
So I pray, Father, that we'd rest in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys are, I don't know who chose for this body of believers to go through the book of Nehemiah, but what a great decision. When you think of where you are at as a church, losing a senior pastor last January, you've hired a consulting firm to help figure out what you, who you were, but even more importantly, who you desire to be. So you've gone through a lot of evaluation, and you're doing a lot of really good things and looking at yourself, and because the, the, a very strategic hire for you as a church is the next lead pastor of, of Alliance Bible Church of Hillsborough. It's very strategic because you, you're going to need someone who carries the vision and the passion of where you want to go into the future. They're going to be the one who kind of holds that light and says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. So the process that you're in, it's a wonderful, wonderful process. I know maybe it's a little longer than you'd anticipated, a little harder and more challenging than you, than you thought, but God is doing something here. And I always tell people in the, in the throes of their life, I say, you know, the reality is, is we, we want the outcome, and we want the outcome now, but God is so much more interested, I believe, in the process. We are a people in process, and we're always in process. And we are, we're, but we're always wanting to find, we want to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. But God says, you know, I'm so interested in the process. I'm so interested in the race that you are currently in and, and, the, and the journeys that God has us in now. So embrace where you're at and know, and know this, that what you're doing is very important and vital to the kingdom of God. So as we go into Nehemiah chapter 4, think, think this. Put yourself in the place of Nehemiah. And when you, when you talk about rebuilding the walls, that basically what, the, what we're going to talk about is, is rebuilding what's here. Okay, you're in the process of rebuilding the walls, and you're trying to become this garrison for Christ here on Bentley Avenue. So, but we're, interesting enough, it was beginning chapter 4, we begin with this character named Sanballat, okay? And he was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage, and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along on top of it. You know what's interesting is, is any time that you engage in something that's, that matters in regards to the kingdom of God, you will always have adversaries. You will. You know, and I think sometimes we are surprised by the conflict. Sometimes I think we're surprised by the, the amount of energy this takes. I thought this would be easy. When the reality is any, anything in the spiritual realm that is connected to the Holy Spirit, you are, going to, you are going to go into some trial and struggle. You are. You know, Scripture says this in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, stay alert, okay? Stay alert. you got to watch out because you have got a great enemy. He's the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You've got an enemy, he wants to devour us. He wants, to, he wants us to look at our plans and say, ah, that can never happen. Oh, oh no, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. That's, that's beyond the realms of possibilities. Oh, no, that, that, this person disagrees with that person, and there's a conflict that has arisen. And so when we get in that state of mind, and here's the, here's the state of mind I'm talking about, when we get in the, in the mindset of scarcity, 
Okay? And what I mean by scarcity is this. We have, we have two options in life. The option number one is to have a mindset of scarcity, meaning that there's not enough. There's not enough resources, there's not enough money, there's not enough people, and we go through this, we go through this checklist thinking that it can't be done. It can't be done. And so we look at and we believe that life is like through through the clenched fist. We look at life like this. I gotta hold on to what I got. Because this is all I know, and I can't think beyond what I know. This is my experiences, this is my traditions, this is what I believe. And so we look at life like this. The opposite of that, I think, is the, the spirit-filled way is, is that we realize that we live a life of abundance. We have, a, we have abundance. You know, we, we, we serve a, a Savior who, has, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. There's more than enough people in this room to change the course of history of this church. There's more than enough. And so God says, you've you got a choice to make. Are you going to choose, as Deuteronomy says, are you going to choose death, clenched fist, or are you going to choose life? Open hands, thinking that, God, you can do anything and everything. But we do have to be cognizant that we do have an enemy. And he wants to distort. He wants to create a field of confusion here. He wants to create disunity here. And he wants to do it very badly. And he's trying to, and he's attempting to do that now. And Peter goes on to even to say this. He says, dear friends, in 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very, get this, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that when you have, so you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Isn't that crazy? Peter's saying, hey, when you guys are going through suffering, when you're going through fiery trials, man, once again, have that, have that mentality of abundance. It's, it's good. Because now you get, to, you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Embrace it. Don't run away, but embrace it. And I just love, I just love how, how Peter's got this new mindset. Because I believe, when I look at Peter, prior to, the, prior to the resurrection, Peter lived kind of more of a scarcity mindset. There wasn't enough. There wasn't enough. And so he ended up doing some, some kind of rather stupid things in our, in our, in our economy. But, but it happened to him. The, the Holy Spirit came into him. He saw life. Hey, there's more than enough. More than enough. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We've got everything that we need. And so he says, embrace it. Embrace the fiery trials that you might go through. So the crazy thing about Nehemiah is this, is that he is literally unfazed by the fiery trials that he is receiving by Sanballat and Tobiah. Doesn't he let it phase him? They're going after him hard. He says, uh, I am not even, that, that's not even going to be a thought pattern of who I am and what I'm about. So how, how does he respond to this? Look at this. This is crazy. Nehemiah 4, he says, his response to the fire, then I prayed. Let me stop right there. Then I prayed. Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. So how did he respond? He prayed. He prayed. You know, and prayer is, you know, we, I think we have this mindset of what prayer is and maybe what it isn't. You know, I think for years, I, I think that I, I looked at prayer as a, as, a, as a spiritual discipline that I needed to engage in to please God. 
Really, that was kind of my mindset. And so I would practice prayer out of, out of obedience and out of sacrifice. I'm not saying that's bad. But what prayer really, really is, it's entering into the presence of God. That is what prayer is. I mean, God has invited us into his very, very presence. And he says, it, we call it prayer, but it's so much, so much more than, than doing this and, and a few offerings of words. It's literally us throwing our whole being and it's colliding with his being. This morning, before I got here, I got up early to prepare myself, and I went on a prayer walk in my neighborhood. You know, very, there are very few people up at wee hours in the morning, a few people walking their dog, and, and I, have a, I had a, literally a conversation with God, an audible conversation with God as I walked the sidewalks. And I entered into his presence. I did. And so he's, and, and, but the thing is about a conversation with God is, is I have to leave space open for him to communicate his passion and his desires to me. So there are times that I would just talk, and there are times of silence where I listen to his voice. There are times he, I would talk again, and I, I, and I can, in prayer, I can talk about anything and everything to him and experience his presence. And I, I believe that Nehemiah walked with God in such a way that he felt and experienced his presence. So because he did so, those fiery trials that came his way, they meant nothing to him. Now, from my own experiences, I, I, I am a person, okay? This is my, my default is control. I love control. I do, man. I like to control all of my environments. And sometimes the Holy Spirit really gets a kick out of that. Like, oh, Eric, you think you've got control, huh? <laughs> Seriously, he says, you really think you've got control? And then I realize, I, I have no control. The only thing that I can control is myself. I can't control environments. I can't control people. I can only control myself and what I do. And so I, I, at times I'm, I, I, I'm in a frenzy. I'm frenetic in my behaviors and attitude because I'm trying to control. And he's saying, you, just need, you need to get back into my presence. You, Eric, you need to experience my presence. You're anxious and you're worried about so many things. But as you walk in my presence, there's no need, there's no need for anxiety or fear. Because he says, perfect love casts out all fear. And when I'm in his presence, I'm experiencing his perfect love. Amen? So that's what we see Nehemiah doing. He's, he says, okay, I've got these enemies after me, so what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. You know, I saw in your, as I walked in, I opened up your bulletin, and I saw on the February the 19th prayer meeting, I'm thinking, yes, that's your answer. That is the answer to where you are going as a church. It's prayer. Amen? Seriously, it is your answer to where you are going as a church. Pete Gregg says this. He's wrote a really good book on prayer for ordinary people. And Pete Gregg is the founder of 24-7 Prayer, the 24-7 Prayer Movement. And, uh, and what that is, is he's got prayer happening now 24-7, 24, 24, 24 hours, 7 days a week, prayer in over 200 countries right now. It's going on right now. And he leads this movement. He's a British guy. And he wrote a phenomenal book on prayer for ordinary people, and he said this, that the greatest person who ever lived was preeminently a man of prayer. Before launching out into public ministry, he fasted for more than a month in the wilderness. Before choosing his 12 disciples, he prayed all night. When he heard the devastating news that his cousin John had been executed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. After feeding 5,000 people, he was understandably tired, but his response was to climb a mountain to pray. 
When the pressures of fame threatened to crush him, Jesus prayed. When he's facing his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding with fear and failed by friends, he prayed. Even during those unimaginable hours of physical and spiritual torment on the cross, Jesus cried out to the one who had apparently forsaken him. Jesus prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. You really begin to look at the life of Jesus and really see what he was about. His source was prayer. And people think that, well, Jesus was, was just modeling prayer for us. Yeah, you could say that. He was modeling that prayer was necessary for us. But it was also necessary for him. Because we remember, he is the God-man. But in Philippians, it talks about how he cloaked his divinity and, and he took on humanity on our behalf. And so his power source came through the throes of the Holy Spirit, which came because he spent much time in the Father in prayer. He needed prayer. He needed to pray. He needed communion with the Father, just like we need to, have in, to be in communion with the Father. So that's what Jesus did. That's what Nehemiah did. His knee-jerk reaction when trial came as was, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And pray he did. And as he prayed, the people, they continued to build. Nehemiah 4.6 says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with such enthusiasm. But then, crazy, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going on ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Can you, okay, so now you had a couple of guys, but these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they, they rallied more of the troops, more of the enemy, more of the adversaries. Said, okay, these, 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 these Israelites under the, under the leadership of Nehemiah, man, not only are they rebuilding the wall, but the more, seemingly, the more, uh, the more trial or struggle we put against them, the more confusion we try to attempt to put in their way, they're flourishing even more. So we need more. We need more enemies. Come on, guys, you got to help us. we gotta, we got to defeat these, these Israelites because if they rebuild the wall, who knows what else could happen? And so the enemy gets larger, gets bigger, gets stronger. And, and, and if you think about it, that's, the closer you get to, to following in the, in the will of God, the more adversaries that you're going to experience, the more fiery trials that are going to come your way, the more challenge that you're going to experience as a church or as an individual. When you get clo the closer you get to the heart of God, the more the, 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 more the enemy is going to try to devour you. I always look at my life like this. This is the way I look at life. If, if I am not under some type of trial or some type of struggle, then I am, not a, I am not being a threat to the enemy. I know we all love peace and tranquility, but if my life is all about peace and tranquility, and that's all I ever experience, man, I better do an evaluation of my own soul. Why is the enemy not trying to devour me right now? And usually it equates that I'm doing nothing for the kingdom of God. But when I begin to do something for the kingdom of God, oh boy, trial and struggle comes my way. The fiery trials come my way. And so really we should be, what scripture says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when ever encounter various trials. Because we know that testing our faith produces endurance, right? So if you are experiencing trial right now, man, you're in a great place. You're in a really good place. I know, I'm, I, okay, if I were to say, okay, we're going to sign up for Trials 101, come to this class, and I will give you trials and struggles, all that you want. That class would probably be empty, right? But if I said, hey, come to the classes of uh, complete blessings and abundance, and most would say, sign me up. That's what I want. I just want peace, man. I just want peace. 
God's saying, you know, my son was all about suffering for me, <clears throat> for the kingdom. How about you? Sign up. Sign up. If you, if you want to live a life like you've never dreamed of, sign up. Watch what happens through you and, and in you. So that's what happens. These enemies are going after, and they're doubling up their efforts. Oh, we gotta, we got to defeat these guys. we got to do something. got to do something. This Nehemiah, he's on, he's on fire. So what does Nehemiah do? Get this. Nehemiah does this. Nehemiah 4.9. But we prayed. There it is again. We prayed to our God, and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. We prayed, and we protected. Uh, St. Augustine said this, a quote, I love this quote, pray as though everything depended on God, but work as though everything depended on you. Isn't that kind of cool? So we pray to God, but then we work. Prayer is not an excuse to be lazy. It's not. Prayer is the impetus or the energy and the passion that gives you the God-focused ability to be about his business. Does that make sense? You know, I love the scripture that says we kind of work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I think there's, there's a little bit of partnership there. I, I, I have nothing to do with my salvation. You know, Ephesians talks about that, that I am saved by grace, not of myself so that I can't boast. It's not about works. My salvation is all about grace. But the cool thing is when I, when I receive that grace into my life, my, my natural inclination and my natural desires is I want to work for the kingdom. I want to be about the kingdom of God. And we see this, that Nehemiah is saying, hey, we're going to pray, but we're also going to work. We know that prayer is what's going to sustain us and give us focus. Prayer is what's going to give us direction. Prayer is what motivates us. Prayer is the, is the sustaining force of what we're doing, but we still have to work. We've got to work. And so work they did. You know, you're in transition, okay? You're in, you're in a really cool transition right now. And uh, you've, you've done a few things. You've looked at your past, where you were. You've looked at your values of, of who, what you really believe. And I think step three is now is you're going to say, how do we take our values, what we believe, and how do we give it some, give it some feet? How do, we, how do we move forward in our values? And the process, I know it has not been easy for you, I know it's been, I'm sure there's been some, some times when you've been frustrated or discouraged or been, maybe there's been some confusion and things are a little bit ambiguous or uncertain, but man, but stay in the process. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Say, God, you, you've prepared me for such a time as this. And he has. You're rebuilding the wall. That's, where you, that's what you're at. The wall is being built through you, okay? And, and praise God that he wants this to be a garrison Okay, a garrison for kingdom advancement right here. Think about Hillsboro. Man, when I moved here in 91, there's 40,000 people in Hillsboro. 40,000 people. And here, here right now, I drive by the signs, and there's over 100,000 people that live here. And then South Hillsboro is going to, you know, within five years, we're going to have 40,000 extra people over there. And it's like, wow, wow. So what do, how are we as a community going to respond? What are we going to do? You guys are doing it. You're doing it. You're evaluating your, your values right now. How are we going to become a church that makes disciples who makes disciples? How are we going to, how are we going to reach out to, to new people who don't know Christ, those people who live in the margins, those people who are far from Christ, but they need the gospel message? What are you going to do? Stay the course. It's hard. I know it's really, really hard. And it's long. And it's difficult. And it's challenging. Stay the course. You're on the right track, folks. God is pleased. 
There's a church in um, Jefferson, Oregon. And uh, I always marveled, I've marveled at this church for years. The pastor's name is D. Duke. And D. Duke, he was raised in Trout Lake, Washington area, and he was a dairy farmer. His whole family were dairy farmers. So that, that was his trade. He was a dairy farmer. And somehow he got connected to Jefferson Baptist Church there in, in the heart of the big town of Jefferson, Oregon. You know, at, at the time when he started there, it was probably 1,000 people or 1,500 people. And D, he uh, became the senior pastor of this church. And he, he, he uh, through his leadership, they got to be about a church of about 200 people, which is pretty stinking good in a community of 1,500 people. You know what I mean? That's like, whoa, you're making an impact. But the church plateaued. They kind of, they, they, they had what we call vision drift. They didn't know who they really were anymore. And so they kind of plateaued and stayed 200 for a long period of time. And, you know, Dee didn't know what to do. And, and he, got, he became frustrated and he tried this program and he tried this program and with no success. So he was, honestly, he, he would say that he was, he was going to go back into dairy farming. He was going to go back. And a friend invited him to a prayer summit on the coast. So Dee went. And uh, while he was there, he caught prayer. He caught it. He began to understand prayer for the very first time. That when you enter into the presence of God in prayer, you're beginning to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as well as the life of others. So he comes back and he prays. He prays. I mean, we're talking like he's praying like three to four hours a day. That really becomes his number one job description. He prays. He prays. He prays, he prays some more. And then the crazy thing is, is he begins to invite other people. People begin to see changes in him. The way that he leads, the way that he, he, the way that he loves, the way that he, he preaches, things are happening. And people are saying, Whoa, D, D, what's going on, D? And he would say, I'm praying. Would you join me in prayer? And so people begin to pray in the church. And they add a prayer meeting. They add another prayer meeting. They add another prayer meeting. And then lo and behold, they have people praying 24-7 in their church. People are signing up to pray in the middle of the night. And get this, this little church of 200 in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden it's a church of over 1,000 people. Kind of crazy. Did they add new curriculum? No. New resources? No. They added more staff people to care for the people? Yeah. But they prayed. And they still pray. Today, they've, they've planted countless churches around the Salem, Oregon area, countless churches in Africa. Dee is 71 years old today, and he, he still prays. A couple months ago, I went on their website. And I thought, I'm going to count how many prayer meetings they have a week. And at last, what I count, I found 16 prayer meetings. 16. 16 prayer meetings? And they've, if you follow them, I've got a young, a young pastor there that I, I'm connected with, and I kind of follow him on Facebook. And they've, they've just come from weeks of prayer where the people arrive at 6 a.m. in the morning, and they have prayer at their church from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m., five days a week. People pray. 50 people gathering for prayer. And this church is exploding at the scene in the leadership of a dairy farmer. It's crazy. What does he do? He prays. Praise. He says this. He's got the best quote I've ever heard of prayer. I'll never forget it. The first time I heard it back in the 90s. He says this. Much prayer, much blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. No prayer, no blessing. And when I think about my, I want a lot of blessing. 
You guys want blessing? I do. Blessing happens through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Amen? So that is what Nehemiah did. He prayed, and he received much blessing. You know, at the end of the story, we know that they completed the, the, the wall in 52 days. Isn't that extraordinary? Through all the opposition they received, 52 days, completing the, a broken-down wall around Jerusalem. I had the opportunity of going to Jerusalem and Israel last spring for the very first time, and <clears throat> we actually were inside the old walls for, for a period of time. And these walls, I mean, you look at this wall, and it's not just, not just a little you know, six foot. I mean, we're talking a massive wall, massive. The stones were just huge, you know, and, and they're setting how they, I'm, I'm thinking, how in the world did anybody complete a wall such as this? It's, it's, it's extraordinary. It could only happen through the throes of the supernatural, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the story goes on, and the people of Judah, they began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions to attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the walls and exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guards by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called, to, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember... Sometimes we forget. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You know, despite fear from the people, they were beginning to get discouraged. They were getting frightful, but he said, don't, don't, don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the enemy. We have got a great and glorious Lord who goes before us. Don't forget. So easy to forget. We kind of get, get that Israelite mentality sometimes. We forget who's going before us. We forget about this glorious God who goes before us in every situation and circumstance that we encounter. goes on in Nehemiah 14, excuse me, 4, verses 15 to 23. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, God intervened. God intervened on their behalf because they prayed. We all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried out their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. Isn't that crazy? What a view. You had a, you've got a mason tool on one hand and you've got a sword in the other and you're trying to work. And that's crazy. But they were prepared for the task. They were not overwhelmed. They were not overcome. The enemy was not going to get a foothold in their lives, but they were prepared, and the Spirit prepared them through prayer. All the builders had sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with, with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and we worked till late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I always told everyone living outside of the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. 
During the time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went out for water. Man, they continued to press on. They didn't give up any hope whatsoever. Isn't that crazy? They did not lose hope. There was a moment when people were saying, I don't know if I can do this any longer. But Nehemiah reminded them that this is not about you. You're right. If you leave it up into your own resources, you will fail. But we've got a God, and he is going before us. We will not fail because of his power and his strength. And it is his desire to rebuild this wall. I believe this about Alliance Church. It is his desires that this church is rebuilt. Amen? It's going to be, it's, it's, you're in the process of rebuilding this church. As you look at those values and you put feet to it, it's going to be remarkable what happens. I would love to come back in about a year and just kind of be an observer to see what God has done and be part of that celebration of what God has done. You know, by that time, you know, it's going to be crazy what ha- what's happened here already. You'll probably have a new installation of a new lead pastor, and he's going to be a representation of those values that you guys behold so dearly. And he's going to be leading you into the future as a church. And you will once again become this church that is, that is this beacon of light on Bentley Avenue. Someone, I was talking to somebody who's talking about, uh, I don't know, uh, Bentley Revivals. He's talking about Azusa. Remember the revivals in Azusa Street? Can you imagine Bentley Revival right here? Bentley Revival. What's going on? Oh, you're going to that church. Oh, I've heard about the Bentley Revival. There's something going on at that church, isn't there? And then someone would say, why is it going on? We pray. We're people of prayer. You know, sometimes I wonder if we should, you know, it, it, you label success of a church by how many prayer meetings they have, how many people are praying. Because if we don't pray, then we do think it's, we think, we think it is all about us and that we have to do it. The reality is we can't do it. We, we try to tap into our experiences and our training and all of those things. And, and, and maybe we can glean into those a little bit, but the reality is, is this is the Lord's work. Amen? Look at this building here. Man, what a resource for the kingdom. This didn't happen overnight. But there were some people who had vision, who wanted to see Hillsborough reach for Christ. And so this is what has been established. And I believe this. You guys are just beginning. You're, you're just beginning. And then when you hire that new senior pastor to lead you in, in, the, in, the, in the next decades, that's going to be your commencement that'll be your commencement exercises. Because commencement means beginning. When a high school student graduates, they go through commencement, they're just beginning. They're just, that's their, that's their, they're, we're, we're pushing off, so okay, now it's time. Now it's time. God is preparing you here for great work. Amen? So, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for being so, so good to us. Thank you, Father, for what is happening and transpiring here at this church. And I do believe, Lord, that you are, you are in the midst of doing something great, fantastic. It's gospel. It's kingdom. It's good news. It's about making disciples who make disciples. Father, this, I know it's the desire of this church to transform the culture. We don't want to look like our culture, but we want to transform our culture through the power of your Holy Spirit. But Father, I know that it has to happen in and through prayer. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit badly. We do. And of ourselves, we're weak. But with you, Father, I do believe that all things are possible. 
We want to be your instrument, Father, for change. We want to be your instrument, Lord, that, does, that, that embraces suffering. We want to be your instrument, Lord, that says, yes, through Jesus, we can do this. So I just thank you, Lord, for the, for the future of this church, for it is indeed bright. They are following after you with everything they've got. Continue, Father, to, to, to unveil your plans for this church. And I do pray, Lord, for the, the upcoming town meeting, and I do pray for the upcoming prayer meeting. Lord, I, I thank, Lord, that, uh, that, that, the, that what you're going to reveal in the coming days is very significant for the future of this church. So I pray, Lord, that you would give them wise counsel, that you'd give them much discernment, and, Lord, that they would abide in you and walk in you. It's a privilege to be here, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.